Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener. You'll have ad-free episodes and join us on our monthly Zoom calls with other podcast listeners and get to know the community at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes. We didn't talk about this, but I'm not doing this business to maximize profits. I'm doing it to maximize joy. And then the byproduct has been quite profitable. But the starting point is, does this, you know, does this spark joy? I'm Alex Bloomberg, host of the podcast Startup, and you're listening to We Are LA Tech. My name is Esprit Devora, born and raised LA, and I created We Are LA Tech in 2012 to unify the community. Podcast launched in 2014, continuing to help people find the best talent, to connect with each other, to form awesome relationships. So proud of this show. Enjoy. Today's We Are LA Tech shout out goes to Dave Whelan. Dave, thank you so much for supporting and cheering on the We Are LA Tech community and podcast. Be sure to say hello to Dave on social on LinkedIn, D-A-V-E, last name W-H-E-L-A-N. He is just so cool building Rebel Labs. Rebel Labs is a leading science-based revolution in wellness arena encompassing mind, body, and spirit. They are teaching us how to build a healthy life and providing building blocks of knowledge from food to fitness. And oh my God, are they amazing. Tell me you found them via We Are LA Tech. Join thousands of people in LA Tech on our We Are LA Tech Facebook group where you can discover events, job opportunities, and even housing. Go to wearelatech.com slash community. We'll take you straight there. That's wearelatech.com slash community. So I've been podcasting now since 2013. That's when I first started producing my first podcast. Then it aired in 2014. And it is crazy. Like, it's crazy how popular podcasting has become and and how so many people are looking at, like, podcasts, like the new blog. And it makes me think a lot about consistency because I've been consistent with the podcast for that long. And, you know, that's like, what, uh, eight, eight years-ish? Seven to eight years? And that's a really long time to be consistent. And I think consistency is the truest form of success. It's the one that most people don't talk about. However, I think that in addition to consistency is understanding the ecosystems of our business, meaning understanding like what are all the different pieces so they could all move together in flow. Because if we're only being consistent, but we're not doing all the pieces that are needed to make the whole car run, if we're only taking care of fixing one specific area of the car, then the car can't drive, right? And so I think if I had to go back in time and give myself advice, I would say, hey, take a moment, write down all the processes, make sure you have all all the things down from how you're going to distribute the episodes, how you're going to market the episodes, how you're going to connect with your guests, how you're going to connect with the audience and all the different things outlined out. Um, so they're very fluid and you understand like what the return is and what success looks like month after month. And then um, stay consistent and then everything will work out. And so 
I think consistency is the foundation of success. And then I think on top of that, it's, it's processes and making sure everything's working in the right direction so that the car can drive. Speaking of car, I'm driving home right now. So that's the, that's the sounds that you hear. All right, enjoy the next episode. LA Tech podcast spotlighting LA Tech companies and talent. So excited for our next guest coming at us from Manhattan Beach. Welcome, Kay. Hi. Hello, Esprit. How are you? Good. I'm so excited to have you on. We were on another special podcast interview, which was awesome. And your character and integrity, just like who you are as a person is very exciting for me. So I'm really excited to have you on the We Are Light Tech podcast. Well, I'm honored to be here. And that's a high bar to clear. So I hope not to disappoint. (laughs) So go ahead. Tell everyone a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yes. So my name is Kay He, and I'm an entrepreneur, creator, and founder of Rad Reads, which is a blog, a newsletter, and an online learning platform. My career is best described as a tale of two cities. It was the best of times, and it was the worst of times. I spent 15 years on Wall Street before this career as an internet creator, I guess is what you would call me, doing that crazy Wall Street investing life. I had what I hope is a third of a life crisis at around age 35. And I was like, is this really what I'm going to do for the rest of my life? And I had some money saved and quit without a plan. And here we are six years later. Yo. And is that when you created Rad Reads? So Rad Reads, um, yes and no. So it, it started as an email about four months before I quit, where I just sent it to 36 people. And I was like, I just like these five stories. I blurbed them a little bit. And it was a Gmail BCC at the bottom. It said, thanks for reading. I have no idea when I'll have the time to do this again, because I was still working. I had a newborn and we just cleared 308 weeks. I've calculated, I've spent roughly 10,000 hours writing emails in the past six years. Wait, okay, wait, stop everything. <laughs> How do you know that? Are you one of these like biohacker oh, people? <laughs> no, I just, I write two hours a day. Oh, So okay. it kind of reverse engineered backwards, uh, just reversing the math on that. Before I start <laughs> to ask all my questions, can you walk everybody through Rad Reads? Like yes. who's the customer for Rad Reads? And then yes. I, I have questions. So we're going to jump back to that two hour thing after okay. you tell us. Let's do it. So the customer for Rad Reads, I would say, is kind of a hard-charging, overachieving knowledge worker. It could be an investment person, an entrepreneur, a small business owner, another internet creator. And what Rad Reads is, is it really leads with my story, which was I worked really hard to get this thing, which was like this title on Wall Street, and I got it. And nothing in my life changed. I wasn't happy. Mm. And so I started Rad Reads as a self-inquiring exercise that was like, wait a minute. For 20, I mean, since I was like 10 years old, I've been told if I get good grades, if I make money and I have a decent job and own my own home, I'll be happy. And from I was a very nerdy 10-year-old, 12-year-old. And so I spent 20 years kind of following that plan and doing it judiciously. Right. And every time one of those milestone hits, hit milestones hit, yeah. I got this wave of happiness and joy and right. peace. And then it would come crashing back down. And I wasn't unhappy, but I was just kind of comfortably numb. Yeah. 
Right. And so when I quit, Rad Read started as me exploring why I felt that way. And I didn't think anyone would care. I had no audience. I was not an internet person, 36 right. friends. And what it turned out is a lot of people shared those feelings in different parts of the trajectory. Some were graduating college about to start on that trajectory right. at Google or whatever. And others were 60 year olds, uh, you know, an, a year from retirement struggling with the questions mm. of identity. Who am I without my career? Who am I without my work? Why am I still scared of running out of money? And so it kind of like catered to that kind of very accidental. Everything about my entrepreneurial career is accidental. I will own that. And so that is, uh, that is the audience where they kind of, they're hard charging, but they have what I call the pebble in their shoe. Right. Where it's like something's off. There's like a, a pebble in their shoe, but right. it's not annoying enough to stop, diagnose, take the pebble out, right. put the shoe back on. And it's just kind of like, I'm going to just keep walking, but deep in my soul, mm. I know something's off. That term comfortably numb. I've never heard that before. And I think that's so powerful, comfortably numb. Mm. So many. I believe many it's a Zeppelin song. I'm not. Is it? I, I did it. I didn't get it from that. Someone told me after. I'm not a classic rock person. Your story of the beginning of Rad Reads reminds me a lot of how Product Hunt started. Oh yeah, Ryan Hoover. Yeah, he just sent a bunch of tools that he likes to some friends, and they're like, "Oh yeah, can you send us this more?" <laughs> You'd be surprised, Esri. That is how a lot of, you know, there is that view of entrepreneurship where. It's just the thing that that comes out of you, right? And you know, the I think of in New York, they the infatuation, mm-hmm. you know, Shmui and um, I forget his partner's name. They just loved eating, and they wrote about it and they sold it for gosh knows how many money, yeah. how much money. So I think it is a path of entrepreneurship, which we can talk about. For the very select few who may not know what Product Hunt is, it started as kind of like not even a blog, just, you know, sharing tools with friends. And now it's been, uh, I believe it's been acquired. It's like a huge behemoth tech Mm. company on the internet. But yeah, that's how things start just by you share something and other people find genuine value in it. And what I think is so interesting is how powerful the simplicity is of just saving someone time. Sometimes you think this isn't a big deal. Like anybody could Google this, mm-hmm. but the time it takes to Google or even with, with rad reads, what I really loved in, in a off the record conversation that we had, and I'd love for you to share how, how you explained it because you explained it so eloquently that you're almost like doing therapy like mm-hmm. how can you explain yes. the way you do it because I'm, so, I'm butchering it yeah so the i mean i'm not to be perfectly honest with all of you uh, i'm not the best at like positioning my product and defining my offer yeah. so it's good you're gonna get the warts and the hairs and all that but basically uh the informal tagline of rad reads is come for the productivity and stay for the existential. And so because we target these kind of hard-charging knowledge workers, overachievers, former valedictorians, blah, 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 we can speak their language. I can speak their language. I am, I was one of them, but I could speak to it through like a a, a more traditional gateway, which is like, Mm -hmm. I'm burnt out or uh, there's too much to do. Mm-hmm. Or I want financial independence, fire, or I want to be, uh, you know, I want to be a VC-backed founder. So those are like very powerful human desires. But what Rad Reads does is it distills the essence of that ultimate desire, 
And like, what's really behind the desire to have more time? Mm -hmm. What's really behind the desire to build a multi-billion dollar company? Mm-hmm. And when you really kind of start probing there in a way that's very compassionate, but curious, you find some really powerful stuff. What we see is like, you know, there's like a baseline of human desires. Like we want to be seen. Mm-hmm. We want to feel safe and be loved. We are scared of being forgotten, right? Especially if you're not religious, right? We're right. scared of like what happens after we want to leave our imprint on the world. We want our lives to have meaning, right? So all these things like time hacking, biohacking, venture funding, so many of them can be distilled to these core human needs. And so like my point is like, sure, we could talk about productivity tools, but isn't it so much spiritually juicier to talk about that actual underlying need and to create a place where this type of audience is not used to to speaking about? Yeah. It's interesting. Yesterday I had a meeting and especially in our tech culture, but I think it just in general, everybody is, you know, exposed to the 5 a.m. club and that's the time you need to wake up in Mm. order to be this. And I was having this meeting and, and essentially the guy didn't say this directly, but it was like indirectly, I felt he gave me permission to just live life my way. Mm -hmm. And and he gave me permission to ask myself, what is my way? Mm-hmm. And my whatever my way is, is okay. Yeah. And it was weird. It was like this framework of, oh, wait, like it's okay for me to wake up when I want to wake up mm-hmm. and I could still be successful. Yes. It's okay for me to. Th- so I started to like play with it. And I was like, mm-hmm. wait a second. When do I feel like waking up? Mm. Like if I could invent what success is just for me and not have to rely on what, what does that look like? Yes. And um, I've been reading this book, Essentialism. You, you've read it? I have. I've probably skimmed it, but I know the, the basic argument. Yeah. And essentially, it's giving yourself permission to say no permission mm-hmm. to do what you want with your time. And what I found interesting about the angles of this permission to create my own right way to live, permission mm-hmm. to do what I want with my time. I found this like creative freedom, like because, okay, I always thought, and and I hope this isn't completely off topic, but I feel like this is energetically in alignment with what yeah. Rad Reads is all about. Totally. I'm a giver. Anybody that knows me, I'm a giver. And one huge complaint I have about being a giver is being uh, underappreciated and always like having to give my time. I use these words. I have to give my time all the time. And, And in reading this book, Essentialism, I'm like, okay, wait, who's telling me that I have to give my time because I'm a giver? Like, what does it look like to be a giver? Because I, I, I'm actually, I like that about my identity, but to be a giver, who has boundaries and invest my time the way I want to invest it rather than allowing others to dictate how my time will be spent dependent on their needs. And I know like this is probably like incredibly elementary, but there's also just something so piercing about the simplicity. Yes. Oh, it's, it's beautiful. And it actually ties to one of the 
fundamental questions that we ask it in my what my course, which is, what if this was easy? Yes. Like, yes. What if it was easy? Yes. Everything about your life. What if yes. it was easy? Yes. From the alarm clock to the podcast, yes. the marketing, to the prep, yes. to the blah, blah, blah. Yes. And th- this is one of these like rooted, like very complex existential questions because a lot of human culture has, yeah. has been taught that if there isn't a struggle, yeah. then the uh, end result's not good. My yeah. mom is a classic example of this. I just want to buy her something nice, like La Mer, you yeah. know, face uh, anti-aging lotion right. for, but my mom's very, very frugal. Yeah. I give it to her and she can't be happy because she knows the price. <gasps> and so she'll go and like try to find a coupon and, and all that. And so like, <laughs> there has to be a, like a fight yeah. to get, I'm like, can't you just accept this gift? I'm, I know it's expensive. I'm good. I want you. No, because there wasn't a struggle in this gift that you can enjoy it. And that's something that I've had to unwire myself. And some people view me, my approach to life is very indulgent. I'll say very simply as an entrepreneur, I don't do things I don't want to do. Yeah. What if it were easy? That's my guiding principle. There's um, a top YouTuber. His name is Mr. Beast. He's one of the biggest YouTubers. As far as I understand it, one of his core ethos in company operations is he doesn't do anything he doesn't want to do. Yeah. He That's how he has such a successful YouTube channel is he delegates the stuff that he doesn't want to be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, you could be like, you're not, you can, you can go to these other scripts, cultural scripts, internal scripts, familial scripts, and be like, yeah. you're not allowed. Right. Right. Like when I told people in my company, we have a 30 hour work week. So and when I tell people that they're like, you can't do that. I'm like, yeah. what do you mean? I'm the boss. I yeah. own the company. Right. I, not only can I do that, right. I want to do that. And right. by the way, I think we can bang with any company where you work 50 hours a week. Right. Not that we're, we really are not competitive, but like, it's just- No, I understand the, what you're saying. It. When you ask a different question, when I allowed myself the space to ask how, like how, if I only had four hours, then how would I get it done with simplicity? If I could wake up whenever I wanted to wake up, then how would I like to spend my time? Yeah. Like when we change the questions rather than feeling like we're, at least for me, I'm just going to speak for myself, rather than feeling a victim of my own life or a victim of mm-hmm. my own personality or like, you know, instead feeling empowered and embrace who I am and then ask, what would I like my life to look like and what boundaries and yeses and nos can I put in place to make sure that I have the life that I want to be living? Yeah. Yep. And what stories in my head from the people I care about and in the world more broadly are not relevant to me? Yeah. So how does Rad Reads guide people to getting there? Like why, yeah. why is this a company, especially in our LA tech space that, you know, and the tech culture even globally is this hustle culture and mm-hmm. this grind and why is Rad Read so impactful? And like everybody listening, like how does this apply to their life? Where do they enter and how will it transform yeah. everything for them? It's a beautiful question. And again, it, it's very accidental where, you know, I, I lead with my personal story always. And so that's the Trojan horse into the conversation. And I'm human. I got kids that, who annoy me. I got the stress of, you know, 
the stress of life, of parenting, of COVID. Uh, I've got the pressure of expectations that you know society has put upon me. I have my own insecurities that I battle every single day. I have you know marital challenges that me and my wife have, and so when you put it all that on the table. You know, it's a little bit like that Us Weekly. It's like stars, you know, it's like, oh, yeah. like, you know, Ben Affleck goes to Starbucks too, you know? Um, <laughs> and so when you when you put it out that way, people feel seen, people feel heard and people feel less alone. Uh, and so that is the starting place. And again, through intuition, skill, or just random luck, it turned out that there's a lot, you know, like all these questions, millennial burnout, you know, how we show up at work, right? You know, being a good storyteller, being a kind, compassionate leader, right? They're all tied to these same fundamental questions, right? So in some regards, I didn't reinvent anything, but right. I just kind of created an alternative pathway to have that conversation. So in terms of how people can connect with it, I mean, we the way Rad Reads works is as a newsletter and blog, 99.9% .9 of what we create is free. Uh, and so I've written probably over 200 blog posts, bazillion videos, and, you know, people have different pathways through which they enter. Like people will enter through the pathway of productivity and time management, which is probably the most common one. But then I'll ask you, well, why do you want more time? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, like really, why do you want more time? Uh, and I always come back to, I want to feel seen. I want to feel heard. I want to be remembered. Or we'll come at it through money. Like, why do I want this much money? Do I, do I have enough? What's enough? Like, I think what, what, when will I know mm -hmm. I have enough is a very kind of popular question. Yeah. So again, you kind of come for the more tactical thing. And then I kind of pull a little switcheroo on you. And I'm like, you thought you were here for, you know, financial advice 201, <laughs> but really I want to ask you, how much money do you want to leave your kids when you die? It's a very moving question. And there's a lot baked into that right cuz you have to you have to grapple with legacy you have to grapple with security you have to grapple mm -hmm. with you know what you expect your kids to have and not have and you know there's a lot it's a very low complicated question so that's the question we we throw at you so that kind of is the crux of like of like the media company and then we teach a course which basically helps you put all of these practices like into you know we go from um from insight to action. Like how do you actually make this practice stick? So you've discovered that you're, you have this fear of never having enough. How can you create a set of practices, a set of mindsets, a set of behaviors so that you come closer to your own definition of one and what is enough and stick with it? Yeah. I love it. Radreads.co. How else can people connect with you? So radreads.co is the main way I've sent a ton of emails. I think in the past 18 months, I've sent 2 million emails with a 50% open rate. So people like reading this stuff. Wait, in the past 18 okay, months. 18 months? Yeah. 2 million? Yeah. So 40, it's a 40,000 person email list with like multiple emails a week. That's wow. It's a lot of reading. It's a lot of, <laughs> yeah. Well, or it's just a lot of people. Wow. <laughs> it's a lot amazing. of people slash emails. Yeah, um, that's amazing when you put it that way. That's incredible. Like the first thing that hit me was how impactful, like how many people you're impacting for that to be read that many times. We often encourage people to respond and we get like 10 to 15 emails a day of people responding to something that we wrote. Yeah. I used to read them all. It's just gotten... Too big, you know, it's gotten yeah. big enough that I can't do it myself anymore. Right. 
so that's the main place. And then uh, where you and I met, um, I love Twitter. Uh, I really genuinely love Twitter. I've made so many lifelong in-person friends across the world, pre-COVID and post-COVID, but pre-COVID uh, from Twitter. So I'm on Twitter, just being myself, you know, to the extent that happens on Twitter. Those are kind of my two channels. I hate Instagram with a passion, so I'm not on it. And, and can you share your Twitter YouTube. handle? Yeah. Oh, it's uh, it's my full that's full spelling of my first name. So it's K uh, K H E M as in Mark A R I D as in David H. But if you just Google Twitter K H E, that'll come up. Let's dive into the operations of Rad Reads a bit because you talked about the two-hour reverse engineering. So I'm mm-hmm. super curious. And I'd like to explore like how many people are on your team and mm-hmm. how does it all function? And so first, this two-hour attainable mm-hmm. number, when did you start doing that? When does the two hours happen? Is it a ritual at this point? Um, yeah. What happens in those two hours? So I'm a very, very kind of habits-driven person. I have a ton of habits, but I don't track any of them at all. It's been, it's been years. So well, one of the two hours I stretch out to surf two hours every day. So we could talk about the LA surf life. Are you serious? Oh yeah. You get we in two here. hours of surf? Yeah, it's usually like 90 minutes. Yeah. We have to talk about why you picked LA too, but okay. <laughs> okay. Let's go. Two hours. So, so two hours. Um, so I meditate for about 90 minutes a day. I, I, I like a big chunk of my day is like tending to myself. So for everybody listening, which is everybody, because we publish the audio, my mouth is dropped. <laughs> How does this guy have so much time with ease for self-care? It's crazy. I, and I sleep eight and a half hours. I, I can't. Okay. So keep going. So there, there are some, some, some tricks there, but uh, I'm very regimented in that. Like I meditate 30 minutes first, as soon as I wake up and right before bed every day, and I try to squeeze in like one more meditation in the middle of the day. But so I'm super uh, regimented. I do all of my creative work and surfing before noon. And then from noon until like dinner time, I do like podcast interview, you know, I do what, what I call I have this framework of like $10 and $100 work, which is kind yeah. of low value, yeah. not, not by the monetary unit, but yeah. like uh, yeah. things that don't move the needle. So right. I do my low value work in the afternoons and I do my high value work in the mornings. And for me, high value work for the longest time has been writing. And I write a couple of emails a week. I post a lot. I write for my course. So my natural kind of creative uh, outlet is writing. So I'll sit down and write for a couple hours a day, like six, six days a week for six years. When you were organizing initially Rad Reads, how did you decide on the software that you chose to power everything, to mm. power the email system, to power what you write in, like to power your website? Yeah. Like, how did you make those choices? So uh, a few ways. I I talked to a lot of people. So I've kind of been privileged to be in this group of kind of online creators. So like I could quickly email some people I trust. I'm like, should I use this for this? But the real secret is it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, it does not matter. And for all you people, for all the audience members listening and thinking you're just one tool away, one template away, one, you know, one hack away. I still use a note. I mean, I teach a productivity course and I know all the tools, every single one. I use a notebook most of the time. And so if you just like a new every day, there's two columns, like high energy, low energy. That's the approach. So I I, I don't I do love tools. 
but I'm always asking myself, what is that? We call it 10K work. What is that super leverage work that only you can do? Mm-hmm. And, I, and as I've gotten uh, more experience as an entrepreneur, I really try to only do 10K and $1,000 work and kind of delegate the lower value work. Let's jump into that a little bit deeper yeah. because I think it would bring value to everybody. Talk about yeah. the 10K and the $1,000 work. Yeah. So basically, it's a very simple matrix, and we could probably attach it into one of the show notes. But on one axis, there's um, leverage, so low leverage and high leverage, which is like how much reach does your activity have? And on the other axis, there's um, low skill and high skill. And so you hop from one quadrant to another. So low skill, low leverage is $10 work. It's basically the test is, can you do it hungover? Uh, so that's $10 work. Um, $100 work is very dangerous. It's actually the land of tools where like, look, I use tons of tools. Like I use a text expander. It told, it's told me I've saved 14 hours this year, just using the text expander. Right. Great. But 14 hours in isolation doesn't mean anything. Especially if you're using 14 hours to then go on Twitter or something. So right. the hundred is where you have some leverage, but you're not like, it's not moving the needle. I always joke. I'm like, do you think Jeff Bezos has a banged out to-do list system? No, he just wakes up. He's like, I had to call Janet Yellen and, and then I've got to call Bill Gates. And then I've got to call the president of China. And then like, that's, that's his, that's what moves the needle for him. Right. right. We're not at that level, but eventually it's right. like, you, the best to-do list system is not going to make your company more revenue. So then there's a thousand dollar work and that's high skill, low leverage. That's kind of the, the gold standard. That's like, you have a unique skill. I have a unique skill. And that's when you do that unique skill. So whether you're a software engineer or whether you're a podcaster, whether you're an internet creator, for me, it's writing. For you, it's podcasting, presumably, and others. A lawyer, you get paid a premium because you're really good at this one thing. Right. But that doesn't scale. You take a year off, there's no income. Right. So then 10K work is you leverage your secret, your special sauce. And so when you leverage your special sauce, like if I'm a great writer, what if I can train an apprentice to write in my voice? Mm. Then they can write as K and I can go on vacation. So my mm. test for like 10K work is, does the business keep growing while I'm surfing? And I'm, mm. I'm centrally focused on that. And I'll tell you a story. Once I was surfing and as I'm surfing, a couple hours, great session, so tired. I get back, open my email. And we processed a few refunds. One person sent a survey, was parsing the survey data. We had two office hours for my course and another email was scheduled to go out. All that happened while I was surfing. And so I'm like, yes, we're finally cracking the code on this 10K work, which is like the machine Mm -hmm. keeps moving um, while I, like I as the business owner today, but I, all of my direct reports, I encourage them to think in that same way. I've like, one day you won't be doing this job. Think about this in terms of what's your leverage point? What's your 10K right. work? How many people do you have on your team? A year ago, I hired, a, I was by myself for five years. And a year ago- Oh, really? I, like yeah, fully by yourself for five years? Fully by myself. And a few times people would email me and do work for free, but that never really worked yeah. out. So a year ago, I had hired a virtual assistant. A few months ago, uh, my virtual assistant, I promoted her to be head of course operations. So she kind of runs the back end of all of my courses. So she's actually my only full-time hire. And then we have a series of part-time employees. Uh, we have probably right now about three kind of half-time employees, part-time. Uh, and then we have, for every course, we have about 10 
contractors who are former students who basically uh, come and help me teach. They, they're so basically cool. like facilitators. So I, in any given day, it feels like I manage like 17 people. I really only have one on payroll, like to, like true payroll. Right, right. But like my team right now feels like uh, like three or four of us. If you could go back two or three years, would you have hired someone sooner or would you have done it again the exact same way that you did it? That is a very good question. There's two things I would have done earlier. One is I would have not wasted a year on Instagram, uh, <laughs> but I, I hate Instagram so much, but I'm also a words guy, so it doesn't work well for me. I would have definitely hired someone earlier, but I didn't have as much product market fit. So it would have felt scary because I would, I would have been funding it out of pocket, right? Mm. So there's a tension there, but in hindsight, yes for sure. I would have definitely hired earlier because that leverage, you don't realize when you're working by yourself that all that $10, like paying invoices, updating your web, your WordPress site, like that's like death by a thousand cuts. And yes. it doesn't, none, not one of it feels like a lot, but when you do it for two hours, when you should have been thinking about your five-year strategy, 100%. you realize the opportunity cost of it. So that was one thing. The other thing I did semi, semi early that I probably would have done earlier that I would have done earlier is I actually paid a lot of high-end coaches. Mm -hmm. um, so I paid like to basically like accelerate. You would have paid more. I would have done it earlier Oh, uh, in my career, in my entrepreneurial career. So for example, uh, 18 months ago, I hired uh, like a personal copywriting coach. Right. And that person taught me everything I know about copywriting and our sales went like gangbusters. Really? But it was a lot of money out of pocket to pay this person because I, I don't have the time for like group classes. Like I need one-on-one right. -on -one like coaching. Right. And so I did that for SEO as well. Um, I'm about to do it for design. And so what my, I, I wish I had done it's hard though, because these are like five, ten, fifteen thousand yeah. dollar engagements. Yeah. When you're not making money, but you like honestly, like the copywriting coach that that saved me like six months. You have to think about the opportunity cost, huh. not how much money this is costing you. If of course, if you can like right. make ends meet, right? Right, right. So I wish I had I was too cheap to do that before. I also didn't know exactly where the business was going. Right. So I might've been, there was a risk that I was spending money in the wrong places. Yeah. But like right now, one area that we're going to tackle in the next year is Facebook ads. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to find the best teacher of Facebook ads and I'm going to pay them one-on-one -on -one to teach me and my team how to do it. I'm not going to read blog posts about it. I'm not going to take online yeah. courses about it. I'm not going to watch YouTube videos. I'm going to say who's the best. And that person is probably going to be like 10, 15 grand. Oh, I already um, know who to recommend to you. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll so tell you there after. you go. Yeah. Okay. There's a few things that, that I'm very curious about finding the product market fit. And I know mm -hmm. we, you and I talked about this in a Twitter space is about mm -hmm. pricing, but finding product market fit. It's funny because I was just talking about this on another podcast. I don't have like a lot of respect for the common course creator, you know, mm -hmm. like what the course creator industry stands for. Yeah, I think. yeah it's trying to feed off of someone's pain point pain mm -hmm. points and doing a cash grab. You and I yeah, talked about this on Twitter totally. spaces and the the lack of ethics and integrity in the driving force behind that. It, it drives me insane because mm -hmm. I'm such a Pisces save the world. Yeah, 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 yeah. So when you were choosing these high level educators, coaches, how did you know which one wasn't full of <laughs> you yeah. know yes? Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a good it, it's a good question, and, and this is 
you know, you, you mentioned earlier that, that you're a giver. I espouse the giving. I actually, this is probably a different podcast conversation, but I'm very careful about identities. So instead of saying I'm a giver, I will say I espouse a giver mindset because some days I don't want to be a giver. And then when you have the identity, steal that from you. (laughs) When you have the identity of a giver, even something that's that's virtuous, identities are very limiting, and identities are impermanent. One day you won't be a giver. Like it might be because because I'll be tired or you're tired, you or or burnt out or old. You know, like uh, not in a world where you know where you're just focused on your intimate circle of peeps. So then you'll have this tension of like, well, I've been a giver for so long, and now I'm not. So I always like, I try to not have any, it's a very Buddhist way of seeing the world. Yeah. I try to have no identities, but I do activities. So I, I pursue giving activities. Mm. Just to take a pause for Thank you for sharing that with me because that is a huge fundamental shift for yes, me that I had never even considered before. And think about to all your audience, like you probably all have a, a, a positive attribute that someone like that becomes a part of your identity. So for me, for a long time, it's like, okay, you're so consistent. I even like gave that identity a name. I called it the fast tortoise. But consistency is, especially in the world of content, is perceived as something like very good. Yeah. But consistency led me to burnout. And Mm. consistency actually stifles my creativity because if I'm always on a schedule, I don't have this like space to let my mind roam free. But by attaching to that identity, everyone on, you know, around me is like, you're so consistent. You're so consistent. Can I be consistent like you? Blah, blah, blah. Then you realize you actually become stuck and trapped yeah. and you can't like, what's the opposite of being consistent? Spontaneous. I want to be spontaneous. I have to be spontaneous if I want to yeah. be successful. I want to yeah. be spontaneous. So I want to be happy as yeah. a person. So yeah. it's just uh, to your audience, to all the listeners, just be careful of these like good quote unquote, good identities right. that, that because they can actually hold you prisoner. Now it doesn't mean you, you act in a consistent manner, right? but to be a consistent person uh, I would huh. just caveat for that, that the identity. So your habits that you have, the two-hour writing session, the two-hour surfing session, the 90 minutes of meditation, they're habitually consistent. But like, how do you differentiate habits versus it? Well, it, it's, it's, it's really more of like uh, how you say it, how you use words. Mm. So, you know, people will be like, oh, like Kay surfs every day. And I used to like be like, oh, I surf, you know, I, I, I've said it and I've surfed like 350 days since we moved to LA, but it becomes a part of my identity. Like I feel the need to tell this to people and that's dangerous. And, mm-hmm. and I saw a perfect example when they shut down the beaches during COVID, I was relieved. <gasps> so I was paying a price for that identity, huh. right? I was relieved that they shut down the beaches yeah. for two months because I wouldn't give myself permission, permission. to not surf because yeah, it was so ingrained in my identity. Yes. Oh my so, gosh. So that's the thing is like, I love surfing, but I don't, yeah. I won't say like I surf every day or I, I try not to. And when I do a warning light goes off in my head, mm-hmm. that's like, you're attaching to an identity. And remember all identities are impermanent. Like you could have a full head of hair and then one day you won't have a full head of hair. Right. You could have a six pack and one day you won't have a six pack. You could right. be a vi- vibrant 30 year old and one day you won't be a vibrant 30 year old. Right. So like all that stuff is fleeting anyway. 
So be careful on that idea, right? You'd be a surfer and one day you yeah. break your shoulder, you tear your labrum. It, it's interesting, even like something as trivial is when I consider myself to be a fit, healthy person mm -hmm. so that when I want to have ice cream, I bash myself because I'm like, mm -hmm. how can I be a fit, healthy person and eat ice cream at the same time? Mm -hmm. I'm letting myself down and then it becomes this whole judgment and attack yes. rather than just like enjoying the ice cream. Exactly. And meanwhile, you live a fit and healthy lifestyle, by the way. You can eat ice cream when you lead a fit yeah. and healthy lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. I we didn't answer your question yeah, about like, please. how do I pick yes. the, how do you the pick? people? Yeah. Uh, I feel very lucky to have a really just amazing network of collaborators, friends, work people, Twitter, internet friends. And just like this, like you and I met four, four weeks ago. Yeah. Right. And yeah you're going to tell me this Facebook person off camera and I trust you and you wouldn't be the first person that recommended someone. Uh, and so I'll have this list of five or six people right. and I'll meet them and you know, they're all coming from trusted sources. So it's almost like I can't go wrong at that mm. point. And then I'll, you know, I'll put on my business hat and kind of like, you know, I'm looking to do X, what would you tell me? And, and all that. The other thing, I think this is actually an interesting entrepreneurial strategy that I've used. Yeah. So let's say a skill like Facebook ads, like let's say you're 10 out of 10, you're, you're the best, you're the best in the world or in the top yeah. 1% and you're one out of 10, you have no idea what you're doing. Right. My approach to entrepreneurship has always been to get to a three by myself, mm. just to hack it just for design, for WordPress, for anything, for podcasting, hack it. Because then you know what questions to yes, ask. It's so true. And then when I get to a three, then I might like do like some group, depending on how much time and resources, I might do some more like group mastermind type stuff or just get straight, go straight to the source. And usually like from like three to six, I'll get a, a coach that will teach me how to do it, but I'll do it. Mm -hmm. So that's like from three to six. And then from six to 10, I'll just pay someone to do it. Yeah. Cause I don't need to be working on it anymore. So that's kind of like, a, and, and this is where it's like, what if this was easy? Like if I don't want to do it myself, then why should my business do it? Like I, I didn't build a business to not do things that as the business owner, I'm not interested in right. just for money. Right. 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 And, and, you know, I've had a big aversion to Facebook ads for a while. Cause I just, I hate Facebook. All right. Um, <laughs> just as I don't use it. Right. Yeah. So like how many sell on something I don't use, right? That seems ironic. So I'm kind of like, again, I'm open to that possibility that I'm just going to look into it, the, it and be like, uh, uh like, what if it was, was easy? That is not passing the threshold. I'm out. By the way, there's plenty of other ways we can grow without Facebook ads. So that's kind of the approach that I always take. Again, that's the beauty of like, not, not, we didn't talk about this, but I'm not doing this business to maximize profits. I'm doing it to maximize joy. And then the byproduct has been quite profitable. But the starting point is, does this, you know, does this spark joy, right? How do you know in this culture of like course creation where everybody's just trying to do this quick cash grab, how do you legitimize it for your, like, yeah. yeah. It's true. Online courses get like really bad rap, right? You kind of like, when I hear online course, I hear like $497 in bonuses mm. expiring. And there's like giant yeah. countdown thing. And, uh, all these like testimonials, you're like Tony H, Jim B, Jane Y. I'm like, <laughs> yes. I'm like, this is, this is just 
like a, a gong show. Like what yeah. is happening here? So a few, a few ways that I would answer how I feel okay with it. One is I know myself, and this is actually something that leads to burnout is that if someone's going to pay me for something, I will deliver 150, 200% of whatever I think they paid for. And that's actually not a good strategy to have as a business owner, because you, you basically guarantee you undervalue yourself, but that's how I actually get my toehold in and get the confidence. I'm like, uh, so that, that's one. The second is I always, always ask myself if I was paying for this information, even with our free stuff, yeah. would I read it? And if the answer is no, I don't do it. So that is uh, the second one. And then the third one is like, you know, before I did online co- uh, teaching, I was a coach, um, a one-on-one coach. Um, I've gotten a lot of coaching myself. And I mean, now it's just sound arrogant, but I, I know what I'm doing. And when you're paying for my online courses, you're not paying for this. I mean, you are paying for the four or five week experience, but you're paying for the fact that I've been thinking about these ideas for the past 20 years of my life. Like not just in passing, like I've been obsessed with them for the past 20, you know? And so if I could just shift your way even with that one question, like I'm not going to put a price on it, but with that one question, what if it was easy? If someone's perspective can shift on that, that is lifetime value to them. And so my belief is that if you can ag- aggregate enough of those you know, experiences, transformations, learnings, and you guarantee a, a world-class experience across every dimension, then I feel good about it. The other thing that I would say is, a lot of the online courses now, you know, if and when you take our course, you'll see that they are like so elaborate, like they right. are works of art in and of themselves. So like my online course, you come in, you get three hours of Q&A with K, teaching and Q&A with K twice a week for five weeks. So you get 15 right. hours of, of K time. You get direct pods with facilitators who we train. You yeah. get a, a Slack group, not just like a like a fake Slack group. That yeah. we, so we could say one that's like, literally you ask a question, someone will answer in the next 20 minutes. Right. Pre-record. And anyway, it's just university teachers have come to us and be like, how can we make the online learning experience better? Right. That's so we're innovating compliment. on, yeah. we're innovating on the medium itself. And yeah, you could just see the, hear the passion in my voice. Like, totally. I, like we're, we're not messing around here. We're not here. If I wanted to make a lot of money, there are way easier ways that I could go about doing it than what I'm doing now. I mean, I think one of the most powerful things you said that all of us should stop and think about, especially being in this founder tech culture, is maximizing joy. I think we forget. I think we're in a very chase mentality, a very grind mentality, a very sacrifice everything mentality, Mm -hmm. a very dream, dream attainer, impactor, all these things. And I think the one thing that we do not do is think about maximizing joy. Mm-hmm. And guess and it's what? it's the most yeah. important thing. And when you maximize joy, it's contagious. Mm. Which, further, which further enhances your company and, yeah. and the, the staff and the cu- customers. Um, and yeah. We don't even have to post, make job posting. People just, they just want, they just say like, when you have a role for me, let me know. Yeah. So cool. So cool. 
I could talk to you literally forever. <laughs> I'm going to try. I feel like already we've gone beyond like we, we had planned for. I'm going to ask a, a, a few last questions. Yes. Legit. I could talk to you forever and ever. I just, and we will. I love that. Maximize joy. It's something that I need to revisit because I've been so ingrained in this giver identity mm-hmm. to the point of burnout and exhaustion. And it's made me question who am I? Why do I do what I do? Hmm. How do I meet all these people's expectations of me? Yeah. But are they expectations of others or expectations I have of myself? It's yeah. you know, it's it's interesting. Um, That's where the existential comes in. Right? I mean, that right? Like these are very practical day to day struggles, mm-hmm. challenges, and then like deep below, like I, you know, I would ask you, like go go below and be like, yeah. why am I a giver? And like what, like what's really behind yeah. the giver? What's really behind being a people pleaser? Right? Yeah. Some juicy stuff down there. Yeah, I could see why <laughs> Rad Reads is just completely transformational. A couple things I'm curious yes. about: you're allergic to Instagram. Mm-hmm. It makes me super curious. What experiment did you try for a year on Instagram and how did it not work? It probably wasn't a full year, but I tried to do like a daily story probably for like four months. Right. And mine were like pretty, they weren't scripted, but I didn't just wing it. Like I kind of sat down and and wrote them. Uh, The other was just posting daily or posting multiple times a day. So just in vibe with you in general. Um, and there's something about that, like dopamine, like they have mastered like our mm. human dopamine re- reaction. Like I was just, it was all, it, it, it didn't work for me from a business perspective. I mean, it was all consuming. Like it's just, mm. it took, it took over my life. And, and yeah. like, I use Twitter a lot, but I never feel like I rarely feel like Twitter takes over my life. It's just like, it just, I, be, I think it's because of the visuals and because of the video, it's just yeah. like, I, I have a funny story on Instagram. I, I have it only on my iPad because some rad readers will DM me on Instagram. Like that's a legit way to get a hold of me. Right. Um, and so I keep it on my iPad, but the iPad on Instagram, it doesn't rotate. And so I have yeah. like the magic keyboard. So right. my Instagram's like the wrong way. So I have to like tilt my neck 90 degrees to the left. Uh, But that's how I view Instagram. Even then when I open it occasionally, I'm like, I'm down this rabbit hole of like, who is this famous surfers tattoo artist and that person's girlfriend. And like, like, what am I doing with my life? Like, uh, and so I I get, I, I get really sucked into that um, quite quickly. And so just being on it was just, it, it made me feel very icky. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I I try to self-monitor as well of when I'm using technology and it's making me feel uh, mentally without joy. So this doesn't have to be LA. I'm just obsessed with websites and apps and since you know them all mm-hmm. and I honestly ask on every single episode too because I like love them. I've been keeping a, a little like private uh, list for myself for years yes. now of all the the things I find. What is your fave? What's a go-to that you highly recommend we check out? Go-to. So I'd be remiss if I didn't say Notion, which is oh, yeah. what I use for a lot of, I mean, it is the canvas that we use for, for our course. But if I, that's like to, you know, that's like saying your favorite company is Nike or something. <laughs> um, so if I had to, 
get and a little bit. And for those of you who don't know Notion, it's essentially a, uh, a project manager slash note taking. Mm-hmm. It's just really great and intuitive and it helps you deep deep think things. So meaning you could have your operations and then click on something and will take you a level deeper and click on something with that, take you a level deeper. But if you needed to see it all on the front, you could see it all bird's eye view really easily mm-hmm. as well. So absolutely. Yeah. And that, um, I, the way I describe notion, is it's like, uh, if Google, you know, Google sheets, Google docs, uh, Trello, Airtable and Evernote and your favorite task manager all had a, a baby together. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's what it is. Um, but if you want to go really subtle, I would probably say there's an app that's mo- that's only for iOS called Drafts. No, what's um, that? D-R-A-F-T-S. So again, it's very subtle because if you download it or when you download it, you're going to realize you're, you're going to say, this is just iOS notes. It's just a, it's like a bare bones note-taking app. But the thing about Drafts is that it anticipates all of your actions. So it's just a, such a smooth user experience. So if you open the drafts app, it starts you off on a blank screen already versus having to hit plus for like a mm. new note. Really s- kind of obvious yeah. when I say it to you, yeah. but there's no note-taking app that puts you into a blank note. Right. And so, so that like this little seamless thing. So that's one. Another thing that it does really good at is you do the note and then you don't have to close it. If you like let, I think like 30 seconds go by, it closes that note and opens a new one for you. Because chances are, if you're going back to the drafts app 30 seconds later, it's probably not to update that note. It's probably to create a new one. Right. So it, it does this like super job of just intuiting like how you want to use this. And I take like a million little note shards and I really care about like speed. So the drafts app is, is one uh, that I use often and their cloud sync works brilliantly. It, it is so <laughs> precise. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, I, iOS, iMessage notes, whatever Apple notes is I always like, it's like not, it's always laggy. Yeah. Right? It's true. Um, so this it's like, boom, hundred percent always. Yeah. You know, I'm checking that. I like rely on note taking. So mm-hmm. that, oh, your life will be yeah. transformed. I'm so excited. Why did you move to LA? We can't end the LA. Uh, yes. 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 <laughs> so we, I'm a born and bred New Yorker. I grew up in New York city. I was born in the East village. I was one of those kids that always envisioned living in New York my entire life because all the things that annoy people about New York don't annoy me because it's my baseline. And I just love the city, but I love the ocean. I love surfing. Rad Reads is like, I'm deeply inspired by street and surf culture. I'm turning 42. So like Stussy and Massimo and Ocean Pacific, those brands like were like my childhood brands that, that I grew up. I grew up listening to a ton of West Coast rap. So uh, so there's always always had this West Coast vibe and people in New York would always be like, you you like strike me as a Californian. I'm like, oh dude, I was born in the East Village, like 14th Street. <laughs> Once Rad Reads took off, or took off. Once we had some product market fit, I realized I didn't need to be in New York anymore. And my wife and I, we looked at the map and we said, where is there a vibrant culture, amazing restaurants, close to the beach, good public schools, close to an airport where we have friends, which basically meant like LA, San Francisco, if you consider Pacific Beach a beach, uh, like a, that kind of like a Southern California beach and San Diego. We went to San Diego, weren't vibing with it, didn't have that like cultural vibe that we wanted. Right, right. San Francisco never 
considered. And so it was kind of like LA. And, you know, before we had kids, we would just hop on a plane to LA for the weekend. We have so many friends here. Uh, and then we actually didn't know Manhattan beach. And when I realized that, wait, I can walk to the beach. Like I don't wear flip-flops in Manhattan beach. And I was like, this is a true beach town. And no one on the East coast has heard of, I mean, has its pros and its cons. But when I realized I could walk to the beach and we were like, sold. Um, that being said, we're on, we drive to explore LA all the time to get into like, to go into the East side, to get food, to see friends and all that. So because we don't have commuting jobs, we love driving around LA. And I guess we haven't been here that long. And Manhattan beach, it's actually South Bay is one of my favorite places in LA, the only downside. And it's a pretty big downside it's if you're in South Bay, you're locked out from the rest of LA because yeah. it's such a commute. Like Total. you have to commute to get to the freeway and then be on traffic to get anywhere else. But if you're cool just being stuck in South Bay, mm-hmm. it's one of the best <laughs> areas. Ever. Totally. And but the other thing is because I don't have a nine to five schedule, when I meet people, it's like between 11 and two. And so so the traffic's not too bad. It's not so, I mean, it's still like 45 minutes to get to Griffith Park, but it's not like traffic, traffic. Right. And so I leave the South Bay multiple times a week and we go out to dinner like in Venice and all the time. So what is a piece of advice that you've gotten that's really stuck with you that's helped accelerate you in your career? Ooh, saying no is a superpower. Yes. Love that. It's very hard when you're a people pleaser and a giver. Yeah, Which I'm going to let I'm, go of that I'm identity. <laughs> or a, a better way to say it is saying no is 10K work. That that like really helped. Wait, saying no is 10K work? It's, it's highly leveraged. It's a unique skill that's highly leveraged, which is so true. Because huh. like when you close a door, you're not like saying necessarily no to one task. You're like, like if you, if you say I'm saying no to Instagram, you are saying no to like so many things. Yeah. Right? Like hundreds of hours of things. So, but it takes the the unique skill is like, it takes a little bit of chutzpah and courage to close doors, especially if you operate from a scarcity mindset, which I I have often in my life. And and that's, that could be a whole other conversation. (laughs) Identity, scarcity mindset. I'm telling you, I could talk to you forever. So quick fire questions. One, uh, what book do you recommend we read? Ooh, what book do we write to? You know, I, I don't read a lot of nonfiction books. That's what, it could be boring. personal or professional, any book. I mean, my favorite, one of my favorite books, it's the only book that I read. And as soon as it was finished, I started reading it again is uh, Norwegian Wood by Murakami. I love Ooh, Japanese authors. What's it about? It's just about like, uh, it's about the kind of tormented human soul and relationships and how we kind of, you know, get out of our own way or how do we, how we, how we cope. Mm, I got to, I got to read that one. It's so good. What hike or activity do you recommend in LA if someone were just getting here? This will be cliched, but surfing in El Porto, uh, would would be, that would be my, uh, my go-to hundred percent. That's a good one. Last one restaurant. What restaurant do you recommend? Oh, Felix in Venice. Felix. What, what kind of food is it? Italian. Homemade yeah, pasta. It's like right by me, but I've never been, never heard of it. Oh, it's like the best. And I don't even like pasta that much. To me, pasta is like pizza. Like they kind of all taste the same and like, yeah. it's hard to get that real pop. It's incredible. It's down on the end of, uh, of Abikini. Amazing. I'm going to check it out. 
Kate, I could teach so an much. Angelino something. Wow. <laughs> I know. Oh, I meant to tell you, I don't know if you know this. I think you know this, but maybe you don't. Do you know that I built the first action sports social network? So my roots are skateboard, surfing, motocross. I did not know that. Yeah. Holy That's moly. Like my whole identity I mean, this is kind of like a reveal or whatever. To me, We Are LA Tech is a reinvention of my sports company. And my sports company is like my heart, my soul. The core. It doesn't exist anymore, but it is like all yeah. of my being. Wow. I, I mean, I have the most epic experiences from being with Brian Deegan and and Tony Hawk and, and just like these amazing, like, my life has been ridiculously exciting thanks to being in the action sports industry. Oh, and that's a whole nother story. Uh, yes. But when you were talking about all the action sports culture, I'm like, yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much for hanging out with the We Are LA Tech podcast, for doing this deep dive with me. You're so amazing. I can't wait for everybody to check out Rad Reads. Like, you're such a framework shifting person. <laughs> So That's cool. so kind of you. Well, well, you're you ask the right questions, and and you're willing you're you're willing to go there. So you know all the all the credit and kudos go to you. And remember, you and everyone else. What if it was easy? What if it was easy? I think that's a great a great note to end on. If you want to connect and collaborate with more amazing people in the LA Tech community, remember, go to the wearelatech.com slash community. Go to wearelatech.com slash community. Say hello on social at wearelatech on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you guys, talk to you guys, hear you guys in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Hey everyone, this is Kay He from Rad Reads. I'm the creator and founder of the newsletter, blog, and online teaching platform. Rad Reads is your guide to living a productive and examined life. I am based in Manhattan Beach. You're listening to We Are LA Tech. The We Are LA Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. Music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The We Are LA Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the We Are LA Tech podcast. To support and collaborate with the community, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener at wearelatech.love. Linked in the show notes.